when people think about Jesus, the person of Jesus, a lot of images come to mind. For me, I can't fight this. I can't make it go away. But for me, when I think of Jesus, I always picture this guy. This is the image that I think was in like my Bible when I was a kid, or maybe my grandma had it hanging on the mantle. I don't know where I get this image. This is blonde hair, blue eyed, European, white Jesus, okay? Is this who he is? This is the Jesus that you, did you guys grow up with this Jesus in your mind? Okay, that's, that's the image that I picture when I picture Jesus. And, and the cool thing about this is that he's been contextualized to a lot of different cultures and a lot of different things around the world. And I went online this week and I found like, man, there's so many pictures of Jesus. The photography was incredible back then. Um, and so I wanna share a couple of them with you this morning. Uh, this next one, you might picture this. I call this Jesus asking a question. He had something going on. He's like, excuse me, maybe this is Jesus. This is some of the great like Renaissance style art Jesus. Uh, another Jesus you might've seen, uh, this was yearbook Jesus. Uh, he was obviously a jock. He was on a football team and uh, was one of those kids that grew his beard early. And so maybe this was your Jesus that you grew up with. Uh, this picture's been floating around for a while. I call him cool plastic Jesus. Um, he's like just a meme. I mean, he's all over the place. I think he's actually a statue somewhere, but I don't know what that's about. Um, this next picture is pretty funny. Uh, I'm calling it Obi-Wan Jesus. Um, there are all kinds of meme about this image. And, and here's the deal. It's not Jesus. It's this Obi-Wan Kenobi from, from Star Wars. But uh, people have been posting around as Obi-Wan Jesus. And the funny story I heard this week was this dude got a really nice print of this picture. And he takes it to his mom for Christmas and puts it in a really nice frame. And he's doing it as a, like a prank, like a joke to his mom. Like I'm giving you a picture of Obi-Wan Kenobi. Well, she opens it and she is pumped. She's like, oh, you got me a portrait of Jesus. It's awesome. And she hangs it on the wall and she starts calling friends. And he's like, ah, but mom, ah. And in the story, he was like, I just never told her. I just, and so she's totally got a portrait of Ewan McGregor hanging in her living room. Um, it's Christmas though, and so maybe your favorite Jesus is eight pound, six ounce, newborn baby Jesus. Don't even know a word yet, just a little infant, so cuddly and still omnipotent. Um, it's Christmas, and no matter how you view Jesus, I'm gonna tell you this, your perspective of who you think he is, not just what he looked like, but what he was like, it really informs the rest of your life if you're someone who is like, I'm gonna do the Christian Thing. I'm going to be a Christian. It affects how we celebrate Christmas. It affects how we worship. It affects how we live. And if you want to know what Jesus looked like, um, I'm going to tell you, it wasn't like any of these pictures. I mean, Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. He was a Middle Eastern Jewish man born to a poor family. Like, he probably looked way different than any of the images that we ever, uh, that we ever picture. But my question for us this morning, just as we get rolling, is how do you view Jesus? Not what he looks like, but who was he and who is he to you? You might be in a place this morning where you're like, I don't know. I mean, it's just a thing. Like people talk about him and I came to church this morning and so that's something. But the reality for my life and, and for a lot of our lives in this room is that there's a view that we have of Jesus that's actually changing us. It's making us act different. It's making us make different choices. It's making us be different. The Bible said Jesus was God in the flesh and that he was Earth's greatest rescue mission. Uh, the church calls him Lord and Savior and King. It's easy to see him as a caricature, you know, just some portrait, some painting, but so much more. He's truly unique. And with that, I wanna jump into our series that we're in right now. We're, we're calling this Unique Jesus. And there are so many features about Jesus that make him special, that make him unique. But this month, we're just touching on what I believe are some of the highlights, some of the most important, most unique things about Jesus that really make a difference. Unique, by definition, means 
the one and only of its kind, you know? It's unique. It's, it's unlike anything else. That's what unique is, and Jesus was certainly unique. I mean, here's something that makes him really unique. Millions of people around the world center their life on this person. That is extremely unique. It's why we're here today. And at our church, we sing songs about him. Um, you know, we worship him. We pray to him. We celebrate him. We remember his resurrection during communion every single week. We put trust in him. We baptize people into his name. Like, that is, that's weird. Like, if you think of any other human in the world, that is very strange. Unless there's something different about him. So last week, we talked about the, the biggest unique feature of Jesus is that he's the unique way. And that there are a lot of great ways in the world and some people who, who have ideas about what it means to connect with God, the things that Jesus said about himself and the actions that he took to back up his words were huge. And in those moments, we found that he was the unique way and that's what he called himself. And if you missed that, I encourage you to go check it out on our podcast. It's a, it's a good lesson. It's just basic reminder of like, what does it mean to quote unquote, be saved? Because that's a big churchy phrase, but it really has to mean something to you or it doesn't mean anything to you, if you follow me. Like, it's not just a thing to say. Jesus was the unique way. And this week, as we kind of continue this series, we're taking a step forward and we're saying that Jesus was uniquely alive. Uniquely alive. That's the big idea this morning, if you want to float it through your brain. Now, it sounds super christian to say, well, Jesus is uniquely alive. Anything good you can say about Jesus, that's a good thing. That'd be a very Christian, churchy thing to say, but I want, I want us to understand like, how uniquely alive, if unique means you know, one of a kind, set apart, very different. For example, my family this summer, we do what we do most summers, we planted a summer garden, okay? We did the classics, we did the tomatoes, we did the cucumbers, we had some peppers. We had the garden going, it was pretty cool, and we watered it, and we, we do pots this year because our soil just hasn't been keeping up. So we did the separate pots, and we put them in the place with the sun, and it's, you know, begins with all kinds of anticipation, and you're imagining like the endless salad bar, and it's gonna be awesome, and we get excited, and, and it's really cool to watch these things develop and to grow, and then eventually you're like, wow, this dirt and sunshine became edible and I, I'm going to eat this and it's a tomato and it, it is so really cool and it's awesome. It is life happening in front of our eyes, but it's not unique. I mean, plants grow all the time. Plants grow between the cracks in my sidewalk without me wanting them to. It's not all that unique. It's something very common, frankly, for a plant to grow. Jesus was uniquely alive, not just alive, uniquely alive. I'll give you another example. Uh, a few days ago, Google did something pretty creepy and also awesome. I got an email from Google, and I put all my photos and videos on Google uh, Drive, Google Photos, and uh, I get this email, and it said, they grow up so fast. Click here to watch a video of Savannah Woolard growing up. That's my daughter's name. And I'm like, who gave you permission to make a video about my daughter growing up? But I'm like, yeah, okay, it's click here to play the video. I'm like, okay, I'd like to see it. So I click play. It was amazing, okay? Like, it started with video when she was, like, four months old. She's 10 years old now. And it, like, it went through her entire life. And the algorithms that the robots in the cloud use to, like, make this video, it was amazing. And uh, I'll be honest, I cried a little. Like, I was like, my daughter. Now, here's the reason I mentioned this. One, it's pretty crazy that the computer made a video for my daughter. But the cooler thing was this. I got to watch this human being who was born as a baby. And I've watched her with my own eyes, but to be reminded of her growth and to becoming a young lady and that is life and it's beautiful and it's amazing and it's, we see it all the time. Here's the deal, it's life and it's amazing but it's not all that unique. 
In fact, it's happened to every one of us. There are seven billion of us in the world right now. It's not all that unique for a baby. We want to call it a miracle and special, and I know you're a snowflake, and we all are, okay? But it's not all that unique in terms of life because we all have it. So we're saying Jesus is uniquely alive. And for him to be more than just plants, life, doing, you know, growing biology, or human life, like developing character and personality, what makes him unique? It's got to be something special. So to see that today, I want to invite you to open a Bible. If you got one with you, uh, we're going to be in a couple places, but we're going to be following along a big trail through the book of Colossians chapter one. So grab your Bible, flip over to Colossians one. I'll tell you, we always give away Bibles for free at church. So over here, where is it? There's a gray shelf right by the door. At any time, if you want to jump up and go grab one, or just if you feel awkward doing it right now, take one with you before you leave. We give them away every week. Look it up on your phone, whatever. I'm going to tell you, it will be powerful to see this passage on Fold because we're going to be looking at a lot of Bible today, and we're going to see, man, this uniqueness of this person, Jesus, is out of this world. It's incredible. We're going to be in Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. This book was written by the apostle Paul, and Paul was a guy who traveled the world around the Mediterranean Sea area, and he established new churches, and, uh, and he wrote the majority of the New Testament of our Bibles that we read today. And in chapter 1, verse 15, he's talking to a church in a little city called Colossae. And that's what we get today. And in this passage, Colossians 1, 15 through 20 and following, it is like the most comprehensive explanation and definition of who Jesus is. And so that's why we're using it as kind of a, uh, a guide for us this morning. So jump in with this with me. It's also on the screen behind me. But jump in with me this morning. Colossians 1, starting at verse 15. It starts like this. The Son, we're talking about Jesus here, okay? The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. That's the opening section there. And this is just the beginning, so we're going to keep moving. But there is a lot to see in just this opening section. So if we can just kind of leave, maybe just that last passage right there on the screen. Because what it's basically saying is this. Jesus was involved in creation, Have you ever caught that? Like God created the world, yes, but it's very clear and explicit throughout the entire Bible that the entity that is God, the being that is God, like he he exists and manifests in many different ways to our human perspective. And one way is through his spirit, and we call it the Holy Spirit, and that's like really the power behind God. It's, It's kind of, I mean, this is probably not even close to the exact picture of what the Holy Spirit is, but I like to think of it as like God's soul. I mean, it's like, it's the spiritual portion of God that interacts with us the most. But then you also have Jesus, which is his you know, presence in physical form. And what we read in Colossians 15, it says that he's the image, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Like if you wanted to see God in a physical form, you would have had to have seen Jesus. That's kind of what that is basically saying. And that as such, he was involved in creation. And we're talking about Jesus being uniquely alive. Yet lots of people have been humans. But how many of them were involved in the very beginning moments of time when creation happened? None of us. Yet Jesus holds that unique place in all of history. A human, uh, Jesus, I mean, he's God who put on flesh, but Jesus' person was there in creation. And it gets better because in creation, God used one of his most powerful tools, which was his word. Like for example, when he wanted there to be light, you remember how he did that? He was like, let there be light. 
And light was like, okay, bing. And we still have it today. And it was a really good idea, God. I think it was awesome that he made light. God's word is his creative tool. And what we read about Jesus, we can look at the gospel of John. So if you're flipping through your Bible, this is in the New Testament near the very beginning. The book of John in verse one, we get the same picture, that creation moment, but we we see Jesus' involvement. Let's just look at this. In the beginning was the word. Remember, we're talking about the word. That's God's creative tool. In the beginning was the word, and the word was God. And the word, sorry, the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You hear us kind of like taking God's word and kind of personifying it, like making it as if it's an entity, a person. This is interesting. His word, he was with God in the beginning. Verse three, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. Do you remember what we're talking about here, like what the main object of these sentences is? The word of God, okay? That is like the subject of this, this, whole, this whole section. But then in a few verses later, in verse 14, this is the same chapter, John chapter 1, verse 14, it says, and the word became flesh. And made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's Jesus. When God's word manifests in physical form, it is Jesus. Talk about being uniquely alive. I mean, we all have life, and our hearts are beating, and our brains are working, but to be brought out of God's very word. And made in the flesh. That's Jesus. And it's amazing. And so our passage from Colossians said, all things have been created through him and for him. And there's so much more that we could say. But I'm going to give us a couple of checkpoints here so we can kind of see all the uniqueness of Jesus' life. And here's the first one that we just kind of unpacked. Jesus is uniquely alive because he created life. What makes Jesus special? What makes him unique? He created life. He was there in the beginning. The word of God that became flesh and came and made his dwelling among us. He's uniquely alive because he created life. Okay, we're gonna keep going in Colossians chapter one, picking up at verse 17. This is our main passage. Still talking about Jesus. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so then in everything he might have supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. The Bible writers in the New Testament, they have an image for the church. And the image that they use, one of the images that they use is a body. A body, like each of us, we, we all have a body with different parts, arms, legs, feet, hands, eyes, nose. And it says the church is a body. In each of us, individuals, we serve different roles like the parts of our body in the church. And so each of us has a different specific giftedness and, and like things that we excel at. And that's our role in the body. But the thing about it is Jesus is called our head, our leader, our king. Again, unique. You can only have one head. Uh, that's why many church families suffer because someone else tries to be in charge. They try to make it based on their personality or their charisma or a group of people, or maybe you grew up in a world where there was like this one cranky old lady and she was in charge of the church. And anytime, anytime one person tries to be the head of the church, crash and burn, it's not gonna work. 
Because Jesus is the one and only head. He's unique in that way. And, and we could talk a lot more about that, but that's, we're talking about him being uniquely alive. So let's keep finding that. It says in the second half of that verse, second half of verse 18, that he is the firstborn among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. Now we're talking life language, life and death. Firstborn among the dead, what does that mean? Firstborn, like I get first. Like I used to um, race my brother to the car and yell, shotgun, because like that's, I want to be first and I want to win. And everyone knows it's universal law. Shotgun is an irrevocable right. Like I don't care. Everyone knows that. If you don't know the shotgun rules, sit in the back seat. I guess, so I get what it means to be first, but what does it mean to be firstborn among the dead? And surely Jesus didn't die first because other people had died before Jesus came. So like, what does that even mean? It, it almost has this zombie apocalypse feel to it. You know, walking dead. Firstborn from among the dead. Um, what in the world does that mean? Well, this claim that Jesus was the firstborn from among the dead is the foundational claim of all Christianity. What we're talking about is resurrection. Everyone dies. We all die. Some people through miracles were raised by God from the dead, and we see that, or maybe through the miracle of medicine. I mean, we... We've seen people come back to life with the paddles and with medicine. I mean, it brings life back. But to be firstborn among the dead is very unique because Jesus rose by his own power and defeated death. The apostle Paul talks about it like this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. He says, now brothers and sisters, this is verse one of chapter 15. Now brothers and sisters, I wanna remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. What gospel is that? What message is that that he taught? Verse three says this. For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins, according to scripture. That means it was prophesied, according to scripture. It was told it was gonna happen, and it did. He died for our sins, according to scripture. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to scripture. And that... He appeared to Cephas, which is another thing they called Peter, the apostle Peter. He appeared to Cephas, then to the 12. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. And then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. And then last of all, he appeared to me also as of one abnormally born. This is Paul saying this, Christ raising from the dead was the primary message of the early church. It was it that Jesus first died, that he died, which is not unique. Like I've said, all of us die. In fact, it's, it's worth mentioning that other people who have died include every other religious leader, founder, guru, prophet, anybody who's led people, unless they're still alive today, because they haven't died yet, they have all died, including Jesus. Jesus' dying is not that unique. But when three days later, his lungs filled with air and his heart started to thump and his brain started to spark, resurrection happened by his own power, he's uniquely alive. Because as we've already said, he was God in the flesh. And it is the foundational claim of Christianity. But Paul's purpose for writing this paragraph was to give a list of witnesses that saw it. He was like, I saw it. Cephas, you saw it. The 12, you saw it. The apostles, you saw it. In fact, there's a list of over 500 people I can show you that saw this. And he wrote this at a time when these people, he said, are still alive, though some of them have passed away. You know what that is? It's a challenge. And people took him up on that challenge. 
Look, I'm telling you Jesus rose from the dead. It is the foundational claim of our faith. And if you don't believe us, here's 500 people you, you could go ask. And they did. And so of all the claims of Christianity that in the early days were disputed, there, there isn't any historical record of people who researched it that were like, the one thing that totally didn't happen was Jesus raising from the dead. The question was, how? And that's the claim of Christianity. Jesus is uniquely alive. And then to add a little sting, a little punctuation on the end of all of that, uh, Paul says this. We're still in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 now. And if you scroll, scroll down to verse 14, Paul says this. If Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is useless. So is our faith. I'm telling you guys, the church is all over the world. We're sitting right here right now. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, we might as well just pack up and go home. It's just a social club. Which is a great place to learn some, uh, you know, moral direction. The foundational claim of Christianity is that Jesus is alive. And so, not only is he uniquely alive because he created life, the second big idea is he's uniquely alive because he defeated death. And you should keep on reading 1 Corinthians 15 because it goes on to talk about why death is a thing. Like, well, why does it even matter? It's a result of sin in the world. And it's basically, I won't dive into it. Uh, I talked about it all last week. So if you want to go back and listen to that, please do. But the whole idea is that sin brings separation from God and death. And Jesus says, I'm connecting that. I'm reconciling you back to it. Back in March, my grandmother passed away. And I've talked about it before. I've shared it. But even still, it's, it's, it's a little weird to remember because for my whole life, my grandma was there. I mean, she was, she was there. And, you know, it was Christmas at Grandma's house. And it was all this. It was, it was, we called her Nanny, you know. Everybody's got like a pet name for their grandparent. And, and like we went to Nanny's house and we saw her. And, it was, and she was there. And I have memories of her and her, I'm guessing, in her 50s and 60s when she was like climbing trees with us grandkids and boogie boarding, you know. And she was like the cool grandma. She was always doing all this stuff. I have memories when she was in her 70s meeting my kids and, and, and trying to play soccer with my son Silas and her big great orthopedic shoes and she could barely bend over and here's the thing about my grandma she was never athletic (laughs) she was real she was so real so the fact that she's not here anymore it's it's unreal it's like you know where'd she she go she's not with me anymore and now that she's gone uh, she was buried next to my grandfather and really all we have left is the stories and the memories and roughly 2.5 million photographs that she kept in boxes in her closet. We have those also. Um, now, I don't sell that story to make us sad. Uh, death is sad. It's sad. If you've experienced death in your life, it's, it's sad. But we also realize it's, it's part of life. Like, our lives are temporary. And that's a result of sin in this world. This physical life we live is, is temporary. And no matter how real it feels, there's something so much more real in its spiritual life. And it's the life that only Jesus can resurrect in us. One of the greatest lessons I learned from my grandma was that Jesus loves me and that he proved his power by defeating death and rising again. Our first passage, Colossians 1, where we've been kind of going through this whole thing, it teaches us why this uniquely alive Savior matters to us because it's it can just be academic and be like well cool that's neat some people believe that this is why it matters we're looking at verse 21 it says once you were alienated from god you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior but now 
He has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free of accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become servant. And so we talked about Jesus being uniquely alive because he, he was involved in creation. He was uniquely alive because he defeated death. And this third big point that we see in this passage is that Jesus is uniquely alive because he gives us eternal life. Of all the people that have gone before us, that was like, they were awesome and they were real and they left something behind. They left a legacy. The things that they leave us, no one can leave us the promise of eternal life. No one else can promise us this, this relationship with God. And here's the thing. When we talk about eternity, um, and when Jesus explains it, he doesn't explain it in terms of time. Like how long is eternity? That's how we think of it all the time. We think of eternity uh, as a temporal thing. Like how long is eternity? Well, it's eternal. Yeah, but like really how long would that take if we, and, and we get caught up in it. But when, when the Bible talks about eternal life, it's got to do more with a quality of relationship with God. That, that's what eternity is. It's a wholeness. It's like being complete. It's like I'm just in God's presence. And yeah, there's a time factor because it is kind of like the opposite of temporary. I want to borrow some words from Dr. Mark Moore. He had a commentary called The Life of Christ. And, and this is what he says about this eternal life thing. He says, we're talking about eternal life. This is not a duration of time, but a relationship with God. Eternal life is knowing God personally and intimately. He is known not through mystic meditation, but through a person, Jesus. And it's through Jesus' death and resurrection that we have access to God. In other words, the, the union between God and man was broken. We talked about that last week and I mentioned it already. Sin kind of caused that. It was broken because of sin. And as a result, our bodies are born in a state of decline. That is what happens in this world. That is entropy in action. We are just slowly towards a state of, of, of settling out and dying. Our bodies have become temporary, but the real loss for us is not time because our soul is still a soul. The real loss for us is the connection to what, what the Bible calls divine, like the life source. Sin separates our soul from God's presence. And Jesus says, listen, I can put that back together for you. That's what eternity is. And we think about eternity as something that happens later. Like my grandmother's gone on and yay, she's living in eternity now. No, no, no. That eternity began for her the day that God reconnected her with himself. If you're living in Jesus right now, you're living in eternity right now. It's a quality of relationship. The kingdom of God is something that exists here and now. And that's why Jesus changes us. That's why our actions are different. That's why if right now you're kind of in here because you're curious and you're just seeking or maybe your friend invited you or you're just here for, for some other reason, that's why there's a, there's a longing inside of us to like, okay, I just got to reach up. I got to do something different. And that's why around the world cultures for generations have tried to seek God and Jesus says, I'm here and I want to restore eternity for you. And because Jesus is uniquely alive, he can do it and he has done it and he'll do it again. Over and over. It's his promise. The unique life that Jesus promises is, is so much more than religion. It is so much more than a Sunday habit to come and come to church or 
volunteering. It's, it's so much more, even than a set of ethics. It's so much more than that. It's the life, it's the invitation to something real, soul deep. He says, let me walk with you. You walk with me, hand in hand, like I created us from the beginning. And let me show you what real life is. In Romans chapter six, I told you we're gonna be in a lot of Bible today. And it's just, I mean, if you're gonna make a big claim, you gotta back it up, and, and the Bible does it. In Romans chapter six, um, the Apostle Paul's teaching again, and he talks more about this life. And so you can really read all of chapter six and get a big picture of this whole life thing. It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty awesome. Um, if you're a Christian, it's a reminder of what it's all about. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, but maybe you're just here and checking things out, I wanna let you know this is the promise. This is the, the, the good news. So we're in chapter six, Romans chapter six, starting in verse four. It says, we were therefore buried with him. You got that life and death language there? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. This is beautiful. The Bible doesn't teach that like baptism, like water is magical and if you get in the water, like suddenly you like have this magical experience. But, but the cool thing is it's, it's, a, it's an act of repentance. It's like I'm doing, repentance means to turn back to God. And it's like, I'm, I'm doing this because I wanna, I wanna do something physical that says I'm turning back to God. And so that's why it's a commandment. I mean, like, like Jesus says, like go and baptize people. But this is why I'm bringing this up because right here in this passage, it says we were buried with Christ in baptism. We weren't literally buried in a tomb like he was. We, weren't, we don't like see him under the water. It's not like that. But there's this beautiful imagery of like dead with the old person, buried under water, raised to walk in newness of life. That's, that's the image. And so verse five says, for if we've been united with him in death like this, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And I don't know about you, but that's good news, man, for me. Because I'm constantly just bombarded with my habits and my, my, uh, and, and my fleshly wants. There's this big like dichotomy that the the Apostle Paul teaches about all the time is what it looks like to walk in the flesh versus what it looks like to walk in the spirit. And walking in the flesh comes so naturally. You know why? Because that's what I'm made out of. But God says deeper than this is, is your battery that makes you tick. It's your soul. And if you want to walk alongside me, you need to walk in your spirit with me. You need to make decisions that are informed by the spirit, not just informed by the flesh and what's gonna feel good and what's gonna have a short-term gain, but the spirit which says it's gonna have a long-term gain, gain, eternal gain. Verse eight says, now if we die with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. And the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, that unique life, he lived to God. Jesus is uniquely alive. He created life itself. He defeated death. He offers us eternal life through him. And this Christmas, as, as you think about images of Jesus or all year long, whether it's yearbook Jesus or cool plastic Jesus or whatever Jesus picture you, you have in your mind, I want you to understand and I want you to think about the unique life that Jesus has and the offer that he has for us. Instead of arguing what he looks like or try to make pictures of him or, or whatever, it's more like, wow, how can I live with him? 
How can I walk with him? He's uniquely alive. And he invites us to live that life with him.